0: If you have your Bible today, I'd like you to open with me to the first chapter in the New Testament. It will be in Matthew chapter 1, and we will begin reading in verse 1 in a moment. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 1. And today, as you no doubt have, have noticed, we are going to be um, entering into the season of Advent. This is the first week of Advent. And the theme for the first week of Advent is preparation, preparing ourselves to receive the Messiah. Now, today I'm going to do something a little bit different than I... I think that I've ever done, because what we usually do, as you know, is we'll get into a text, we'll set up camp, and we'll just dig in and stay there for the whole time. Sometimes I might reference other passages, but usually it's just one place. But today, it's kind of like the comedian says, he was imitating a preacher, he said, just open your Bible anywhere, I'll be by after a while. Um, Today, we're going to start out in Matthew chapter 1, and we're going to start in a place where, honestly, if, if you read through your Bible, you probably... You probably don't skip this section exactly, but you just kind of scan over it without actually reading it. What we're going to do is we're going to start out actually looking at the genealogy of Jesus. And then we're going to be turning back to several passages in the Old Testament. Now usually what I do is whenever we come to a passage of Scripture like Matthew chapter 1, in just a little bit we will stand in honor of God's Word. But because we're going to be referencing a bunch of passages of Scripture, I'm not going to have you stand up and down, up and down. That's great if you're doing leg day, but we're not going to be doing that uh, today in church. Secondly, because there are so many of them, we're not going to wait for everybody to get turned there. I will be saying the reference. The reference will be up on the screen. The passage will be up on the screen so you can read it. I would encourage you to write those things down if uh, if you so desire. And so um, the, the reason that we're doing this is because... As we think about preparation, I think it's significant that God has prepared, He has done everything that is necessary for us to be prepared to identify and receive Jesus as the Messiah. And in particular, what I want you to do is I want you to see specific, fulfilled prophecies in relation to Jesus' birth. Now, there are all kinds of passages in the Old Testament that talk about Jesus and His, his life and His ministry in the New Testament. But we're going to focus just on some stuff that deals with his birth today. And I want you to see that God has done everything necessary to prepare the first century people as well as the 21st century people uh, that come in contact with this information to see that Jesus is the Messiah. Okay, So if if you found Matthew chapter 1, I'd ask you to stand with me in honor of God's word if you're able. We're going to read uh, a lengthy passage of scripture and then we'll be coming back to it uh, in just a little bit. God's word says, "The record of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham, the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Amminadab, Amminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz by Rahab." Boaz was the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David the king. David was the father of Solomon by Bathsheba, who had been the wife of Uriah. Solomon was the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asa. Asa was the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah. Uzziah was the father of Jotham, Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah. Hezekiah was the father of Manasseh, Manasseh the father of Ammon, and Ammon the father of Josiah. Josiah became the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. After the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah became the father of Shiltiel, and Shiltiel became the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was the father of Abihud, Abihud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor. Azor was the father of Zadok, Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Elihud. Elihud the father of Eleazar, Eleazar the father of Mathan, and Mathan the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah. So all the generations from Abraham to David are fourteen generations, from David to the deportation to Babylon, fourteen generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the, to the Messiah, fourteen generations. She will bear a son, and ye shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means, God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep, and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until he, she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus." Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw a star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They said to him, In Bethlehem, of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah.'" by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, the first thing that I want you to see and understand is that God had prepared his people to recognize and receive the Messiah. He had prepared his people to recognize and receive the Messiah. Now, one of the things I appreciate about God is, is sometimes he makes things so hard to miss that even somebody that's as simple as I am can get it. Now sometimes there are some things about the scripture and some things about God that I don't understand, and I freely admit that, but sometimes he makes it so plain that, that, that you have to be blind to not see it. And such is the case here. If, if you're familiar with the Bible's teaching, you know that back in the Garden of Eden, back in Genesis chapter 3, man sinned. Adam and Eve, God had, had put Adam and Eve in, in the Garden of Eden. He said, You can eat of any of the fruit of the trees except for this one. And, of course, for Ben, fruit's always the sweetest, so they went and they ate that one. And, uh, and, and because of that, sin entered the world. And so God had to provide a Savior. Well, he didn't have to. He, he chose to provide a Savior for mankind. And way back in Genesis, he began this process of bringing about the salvation of sinners. Now, to identify who this Savior was... God told us over and over again, repeatedly, what to look for, where he was going to be born, his nature, who he was going to be descended from, specific prophecies. Now, prophecy, of course, is the writing of history before it happens. And so what I want you to see is the numerous specific prophecies that point to Jesus. And, and it's, it happens so many times and it's so specific that even somebody like me, who's not all that smart, can identify that Jesus is the Messiah. So what I want you to do is uh, we're going to go to our first verse, and here's where we start to get some specifics about who the Messiah is. The first place I want you to to look is Genesis chapter 12, verses 1-3. to God is talking to Abraham, and and you're familiar with Abraham. He said to to go out from a country where he was. He was an idolater. He lived in the land of, of Ur of the Chaldees, and God called him out, and he said in verse 1 of chapter 12, now the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, here's the key part, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. In Genesis chapter 17, God, um, he he institutes the right of service. Makes out the sign of the covenant between him and Abraham. And again, he reaffirms uh, his, his covenant to, to, to Abraham. And in that passage, he says that the promises will come through Isaac. Now, Isaac had not been born yet. At this point, Abraham had one son. It was a man by the name of Ishmael. Isaac had not even been born yet. And so God says, through Isaac, your, uh, the, the promises will come. Then, Genesis chapter 22, in verse 18, he says, in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Now, again, I'm, I'm saying that this is pointed ahead to Jesus because that's what Paul says. In Galatians 3.16, uh, Paul makes it very clear. He says, uh, he, he says that the, the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say, and to seeds, as referring to many, but rather to one and to your seed, that is Christ. So, so I want you just—I I just want to pause. What is God saying in our in our passage? He's saying that the Messiah, the one through whom the whole earth will be blessed, was going to be a descendant of Abraham. In other words, he's going to be Jewish. Now, when you think about Jewish people versus Gentile people, which is the bigger group? Gentiles, right? Anybody that's not descended from Abraham is a Gentile. And the Messiah was not going to be a Gentile. So that automatically ruled out a vast number of people. So he says that it has to be a descendant of Abraham. In Genesis 17, I referenced before, it's going to come through the line of Isaac. And so, so that alone rules out the most part of the world. Next, the Messiah was going to be a descendant of Jacob, Abraham's grandson. Numbers chapter 24, verse 17 the prophet there says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come forth from Jacob. A scepter shall rise from Israel. So this Messiah is going to be from the line of Jacob. Now, do you notice anything different about that? It doesn't just talk about a person, but what does it wasn't talk about a star. Many biblical scholars believe that the wise men, the magi, from the east they were familiar with this passage and when they saw the star they're like oh there's a star now we don't know for sure if that if they were familiar with that but that's what many scholars believe at the very least we see that the messiah would come through jacob so we've already seen god says it's not the 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 most part of humanity it's going to be a descendant of abraham abraham had more than one son he said it's going to be through isaac isaac had more than one son Jacob and Esau, God said, I'm choosing Jacob's line for, for, for the Messiah to come through. Now I want you to see, in, uh, in, uh, in Genesis chapter 49 and verse 10, Jacob, who God named, renamed Israel, he's blessing his sons. Now he had a whole slew of sons, like 12 of them. Can you imagine? I can't, I have two, and I can't imagine having 12 of them. But God doesn't say, it's just going to be one of them. He says, it's going to be through Judah. In Genesis chapter 49, verse 10, Jacob is blessing his sons. And in verse 10, he says, The scepter shall not, shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until Shiloh comes. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. So here we have the whole world is narrowed down to Abraham, then it's narrowed down to Isaac, then Jacob, then Judah... But the Bible goes on in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. This one that was going to be coming to this earth is going to be a descendant of a man named Jesse. In Isaiah 11, 1, it says, Then a shoot will spring forth from the stem of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. Now Jesse had, I believe it was eight sons. And Samuel went and he said, God told me to anoint one of your sons king. And so you remember, uh, Jesse has his tallest, his oldest, best-looking son come in, and Samuel says, oh, that has to be him. He is he's tall, dark, and handsome. That has to be the new king. But what did God say? He said, I look on the heart. I don't look on the outward part of man. And so it wasn't him. And, and, and Jesse brought forth all of his sons, time after time, and finally they got to everybody but David. And God had said no to all of them. And Samuel says, is this it? Do you have any more? He said, well, I have one son, David, who's out in the, out in the field tending the sheep. He brings him in, and that was God's man. So, so God had chosen not only Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, Jesse, and now David. Now, he had eight sons, I believe it was, and in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 and 13, God made a covenant with David. Now, his, his initial covenant spoke about Solomon, but it looked beyond Solomon to this one who would sit on the throne of David forever. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12 and 13, it says, When your days are complete, God's talking to David, and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendant after you, who will come forth from you, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Further, Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 5 and 6 said, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. In his days Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is his name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteousness. So again, Think about all these prophecies Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, Jesse, David. And not only will he be a descendant of David, but notice his character now we get into Jeremiah. He will be called the Lord our righteousness. There's something supernatural about this one who's to come. Next, the Messiah had to be born of a virgin Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign, behold, A virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. Now, if we didn't have any other prophecies, that alone would be enough to identify Christ, wouldn't it? Because there's only been one person who's been born of a virgin, and that is Jesus. But this is just another layer that tells who this Messiah is going to be. Later on in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, it says, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Now finally I want you to see we have prophecy of where he was going to be born. In Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. The prophet says, But as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathath, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you one will go forth for me for me to be a ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. I understand in, in that day, there's more than one Bethlehem. There were two. And God didn't just say, it'll be a Bethlehem. He said it's going to be the one in Judah, not in Zebulun. And notice again the nature of this, of this one to come. His days are from the days of eternity. Now, none of us can say that. We may look it, but we can't say that, can we? I mean, our, our days started in 19 something. Well, some of you kids, 2000 something. But our days started at a certain point, they didn't start in eternity. Jesus is everlasting. So so here we have, I want you to get all these prophecies. God starts out with the whole earth. He says it's going to be a descendant of Abraham, and of Isaac, and Jacob, and Jesse, and David, and Judah. And he's going to be born in Bethlehem. He's going to be in this Davidic line. There are eight prophecies. Now, there are more that deal with his birth that we're not going to look at. But I want you to just look... Because we, we skim, honestly, who, who here skims through Matthew chapter 1, the first part? We all do it, right? Because we don't want to read so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so. We don't want to read so-and-so was the father of so-and-so. We like to stop and slow down whenever Mary and Joseph start showing up. But I want you to look at this part that we skim over, and I want you to see prophecy is fulfilled. The record of the genealogy of Jesus. Abraham was the father of Isaac, was the father of Jacob, was the father of Judah, what does he say? Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David. David was the, uh, was the king. Mary was a virgin. She gave birth to a son, and he was born in Bethlehem. Who else could this describe? Nobody. God had done everything necessary for the people in the first century, And people in the 21st century, if you are a fair-minded person to look at this and say, that has to be Jesus. It has to be Jesus. There's nobody else that could fit. On top of that, we know that the Messiah had to come before the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem in 70 AD because that's where a bunch of their genealogical records were. And in 70 AD, the Romans came in, they destroyed the temple, and wiped out all those records. Now, before 70 A.D., if somebody claimed to be in the line of David, they could go and they could either prove it or disprove it with genealogies. After that, it couldn't happen. Jesus was in the line of David. He was in the line of Abraham. He is the Messiah. God has done everything for us to recognize Jesus as the Messiah. The question is, have we? The question isn't just general. The question is, have you? Have you recognized Jesus as the Messiah? We have multiple documented specific prophecies that were written down. Understand this this passage out of Isaiah 7 where it says the virgin shall be a child. That was like 740 years before Jesus was born. That is a long time beforehand to write history. Have you bowed the knee to Jesus? Now we didn't read further in Matthew chapter 2. But if you're familiar with the the story of the nativity, you know what happens. Herod is troubled. He says to the wise men, "Uh, why don't you you go find that Messiah and and come back and and tell me about him. Now, he didn't have any interest in going and worshiping Jesus. He wanted to kill Jesus. And when the Magi got to Jesus, what did they do? They bowed down to him. They worshiped him and offered him Gold and frankincense and myrrh, and in these responses, I think that we see really three responses that a lot of people have to the message of, of Christmas. We have that of, of the magi, the wise men. they came, they sought Jesus, they bowed down to him, they, they, they bowed the knee, they recognized him as Lord, they gave what they had. but then there are religious leaders. Now, you'll notice in, in our text, whenever we read it, Herod brought in the chief priests and the scribes, and he said, where's the Messiah to be born? You'll notice they didn't have to have a conference, did they? They didn't have to say, well, Kingy, e, we'll, we'll have to get back to you on that. We're just not sure. What'd they say? We know. The prophet says in Micah 5, is Bethlehem. They knew instantly where the Messiah was to be born. Bethlehem was about six miles from Jerusalem. Now think, these magi came from a great distance, probably at great expense to themselves. And here the religious leaders who had heard the prophecies of the Messiah their whole lives. The Messiah was born in their day, was, was located six miles from where they were standing. And they didn't bother to go see him. There are a lot of people today who are like those, who are like those, those uh, scribes and chief priests. They're apathetic towards the things of God. Sometimes even Christians. You know, sometimes uh, I hear people and, and uh, just kind of a culmination of all the things I've heard over the years. Sometimes Christians will say, well, I'm, I'm not going to church because it's raining. I don't want to go. I don't want to get out in the rain. Then sometimes people say, well, I didn't want to come to church because it was so hot out. I didn't want to get out in the heat. Then other times people say, I didn't want to get out because it was so cold. And then when the day is perfect, here's what they say. Well, I just had stuff to do. I wanted to get outside and enjoy myself. I, I saw a thing on Facebook the other day where somebody was quoting a you know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And the response was, you don't even go to church on Sunday. Sometimes we get like that, don't we? We, we get apathetic. That, that alarm goes off on Sunday, and we don't want to get up. Have you ever noticed how good the bed feels on Sunday morning? It feels better on Sunday than it does any other day. Why? Because there's that temptation to be apathetic and not even go a few miles down the road. And be with, the, be with Christians in the house of the Lord. Non-believers are that way. They, they're apathetic towards the things of God. They, they, they don't care to learn about Jesus. And sometimes there's the response of Herod. Now Herod was not neutral in this situation. He was threatened. And he was a nut job. He had wives and other family members killed because he was, he was crazy. He's nuttier than a fruitcake. But sometimes that response is one that, that non believers have. They hear about Jesus and they're fine with this idea of a generic God out there that doesn't require much. He'll just wink at sin, he'll just invite everybody into heaven. No, no requirements at all. Just try and do your best, and that's all that matters. But they chafe at this idea that Jesus is the only way. That Jesus is the one who who they must follow, who they must submit to, who they must bow the knee to. They chafe at this idea of, of daily taking up your cross and following him. And many times there's hostility. There's hatred. They respond like Herod did. Sometimes, again... You know, when I was was a kid a long time ago, I had a teacher that we would ask him, it was probably fifth grade or so, we would ask him if we could do something. Can we have extra recess? And here's what he would say. Sure can. Tomorrow you can have it. We'd be all excited. And so the next day would come and we'd say, hey, remember you said we would have some extra recess. You know what he'd say? That's not tomorrow, it's today. And you just keep doing that. And we never got what we were asking for. Sometimes we as as Christians, sometimes people that have never accepted Christ, they say, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll, I'll bow the knee to Christ tomorrow. I'll follow Christ in this area of my life tomorrow. After the kids get grown out of the house, after this, after, have you ever said, when life slows down, then I'll do X. When life slows down, then I'll be involved in the work of the church. When, when life slows down, then I will, I'll follow Christ in this area. I will submit to, this, to, to the Lordship of Christ in, in this area. I'll do it tomorrow. But it's always tomorrow, it's never today. Would you do it today? Would you not say, I'll follow Christ, I'll accept Him tomorrow? Would you say, I will accept Christ today? Would you say, I'll... I will submit to him in this area of my life, not tomorrow, not someday down the road, today. Would you say that? We would do well to be more like the Magi than the religious leaders. They recognized Jesus, and they bowed to him in worship. Now I'm going to tell it to you as plainly as I can. We're all sinners. I'm a sinner. I'm I'm at the right at the top of that list and you're a sinner and God didn't have to save us we don't deserve it it's not like he looked down said oh you know that that Jeff Braddock fellow is so good I'm just gonna Jesus is gonna die in his place because he's so good no I was an enemy of God and so were you that's what the Bible says but God showed his great love towards us and that while we were yet sinners Christ died for us the godly for the ungodly and the Bible says that if we'll put our faith in him, if you will put your faith in him, you will be saved. And if you've never done that, I, I, I beg you to do that today. Why not you stand with me as musicians come. And as you stand, as ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And just in the quiet of this time, I just want you to consider, maybe, maybe you watch some of those shows on Discovery Channel, History Channel, whatever it is, and, and they try and, and make you doubt the things of the scriptures. Listen, you have confidence. Hundreds of years before the events happened, they were written down, foretold, specific, verifiable documentable prophecies. God has done everything that's needed to prepare you, to prepare me, to recognize, to identify Jesus as the Messiah. He's the anointed of God. He came to save sinners. He came to save you, if you'll put your faith in Him. And maybe... You've done that, but what resonated with you was this this hesitation to turn over control of one area of your life to God. It's like having a house in your, a room in your house, you don't let anybody in. Sometimes we compartmentalize our lives and say, God, you can have all of me except for this area. Maybe it's your time, your money, your viewing habits, whatever it is. Would you be like those magi and bow the knee to Christ? Again, I'm not casting any stones. Sometimes I laid at Christ's feet and I'd take it back up. Maybe you're here and and you've got somebody you're mad at. They offended you over Thanksgiving. They offended you 15 years ago. And you've been holding the grudge ever since. Heavenly Father, Lord, we ask that you would help us to turn over control of our lives to you in all things, our attitudes, our thought life, our words. And God, we thank you that you've done everything that's necessary for us to identify Jesus as Messiah. Thank you that you didn't just give us one prophecy, but you gave us numerous prophecies. And they weren't vague so as to be able to be fulfilled by any number of people, but they were specific, and they all pointed to one person, that's Jesus Christ. And God, I pray during this season of the year, this season of life, that we would all focus on him, that we'd be like the Magi and bow before him in humble adoration. And not be like those religious leaders who are apathetic, who couldn't be bothered to go and, and see Christ, or like Herod, be hostile to him. God, we thank you for your love, for your grace, for your mercy that you've shown in, in sending Christ. And Lord, I pray for each person now as we uh, deal with whatever it is that's on our hearts. God, I pray that your will would be done. In Jesus' name, amen.